You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. The scripture that Jeremy Dean is about to read for us is one of the I am statements of Jesus. It's one of those statements where Jesus is declaring who he is and how he works in the world. So let's listen as Jeremy reads this passage. Before we do that, though, I want to offer a short prayer. God, help us receive these words with fresh ears. Help us focus on Jesus and what he has to say. May the words that I preach in a few moments be faithful to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. So Jesus spoke again. I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come so that they could have life indeed, so that they could have life to the fullest. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. But that's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. He's only a hired hand, and the sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I give up my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to this sheep pen. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me. I give up my life so that I can take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I give it up because I want to. I have the right to give it up. I have the right to take it up again. I receive the commandment from my Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeremy. Close your eyes for just a moment, and picture in your mind a door. Keep your eyes closed for just a couple moments more. Notice what the frame of that door looks like in your mind. The door itself, the material it's made out of. Is the door that you're imagining open or closed? Is it a door that's familiar to you or one that you've imagined? In your mind, what is beyond that door? Okay, go ahead and open your eyes if you haven't already. Gates and doorways have a long tradition of being associated with the spiritual. Open doors are often associated with opportunity, while closed doors are sometimes associated with fear, like when Jesus comes back from the dead and he finds all of his disciples huddled in a closed room with the doors locked. After his death and his resurrection, they're afraid. Or... Sometimes, closed doors are associated with the end of an opportunity, 
like when the gate to Eden is closed behind Adam and Eve in Genesis. Meanwhile, Jesus talks about knocking on a door as an example of persistence. In the Psalms, we read about the gates themselves being invited to lift up their heads, doors being invited to look upward for the coming of the king who we know to be Christ. In Isaiah, the Savior is described as holding the key of David. And then in the book of Acts, we're told that the Holy Spirit tore down the gates of the prison to free Paul and others. So perhaps it's no surprise that we find Jesus turning to a gate as a metaphor in the Gospel of John. In verse 7, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. And then in case we missed it again in verse 9, he says, I am the gate. The word used in the original Greek here can be translated as either gate or door in English. Most translations say gate for the practical purpose that sheep use a gate generally and not a door. Um, But the original language held both meanings. It's true also in that passage where Jesus says, I stand and I knock. From purely a practical perspective, gates and doors serve a similar purpose. They define space. The gathering space from the narthex and the sanctuary. Once we've gone through a doorway, we're no longer in the same space that we occupied previously, whether it's a different room or a different plot of land. Sometimes gates and doors help us separate what's important from what's not. In the Japanese tradition, gates often marked the transition from the mundane to the sacred. A gate like this would be called a torii, and they're often used to mark the entrance to Shinto shrines. An open gate intended to remind people that they're about to enter a sacred space, a threshold leading to the holy. I want to show you another gateway in India from the coastal city of Mumbai, previously known as Bombay. This is not just any gate. This is known as the gateway to India. It was built about 100 years ago during British colonization as a special structure to mark the arrival of the British king and queen traveling from the west across the Arabian Sea. I'm sure this open gate felt like it denoted great opportunity for the British, perhaps less so for the Indian people who lived under British rule until 1947. In some ways, this is a gate to nowhere. I mean, there's no fence to go around it. There's nothing keeping you from walking to the side of it. The gate is purely symbolic at this point, built to mark a colonial connection between the East and the West a reminder of arrival and departure, built to commemorate the opportunity that the British people saw in coming to the East. We don't actually have to travel around the world to find gates that are symbolic in our architecture. There's a long tradition of building a grand gate or a doorway to make a point and express an opportunity. And we found that in the United States as well. At the entrance of Yellowstone National Park, there is a big stately stone gate denoting the entrance to the park. And like with the gateway to India, 
this gate was built as a symbol rather than to serve a practical purpose of uh, separating the land formally because there's no real way to contain the vastness of Yellowstone Park. We also find at the entrance to many cemeteries, a gate. Well, then we have to ask the question, do we hope that that gate actually contains those who have gone on before us? Sometimes these gates can't actually be shut at all. There are no doors on them, and they're just pass-throughs to mark that we're entering a space that's holy and set apart. Perhaps like in the Japanese tradition, we've built these gates as a way to remind ourselves that we are about to step on holy ground. Jesus says he is a gate too. But unlike any of the gates that we might build, he offers equal opportunity and entrance for all. Jesus describes himself as a door, one who marks the difference between where we have been and where we're going. The promise of a future, a fresh start, a chance to move towards something new, different, a change. My husband Joel and I have been watching a show that ended recently called The Good Place, starring Kristen Bell, Ted Danson, among others. And the premise of the show is that all the characters have died on Earth. And they're living in the afterlife, hence the title, The Good Place. And there's a lot of adventures and things that happen as they're exploring what the good place and the bad place, and it turns out there's a middle place in the show even are. But eventually, the main characters decide, after several seasons, many adventures, thousands of years of time together in the good place, that it's time for whatever comes next. In the case of the show, what's next after the afterlife, which is sort of bizarre to think about as we think about it uh, in terms of our life here. But the characters are presented with a simple gateway in the middle of the woods, and in the show, it's a one-way gate. Once they step through, they can never come back. No one is forcing them to go. They get to choose one by one, and they do choose when they're ready to go through this gate. They know that they can never come back to their life, or in this case, their afterlife in the show, to the way that it was, but they're ready to let go of that and step through the doorway to the next thing. I think that's how it is with us and Jesus, when we trust that everything on the other side of the door is going to be okay, even if it's scary, even if it's unknown, even if it means some loss, whether in this life or the next. When we have that trust, we're ready to step through. Doors are portals through which we can see into the space in front of us. Doors remind us that something else is possible. There's more than just the room in which we find ourselves. So I have to tell you a story since it's my daughter's birthday. My daughter Maxine is one year old today and one of her favorite things to do is to stand in front of our front door and look out. She loves to watch people walk by. She loves to watch for cars driving by. Our front door has become the way that she views a whole part of her world, a world of possibility and seeing what might be out there so she can wave hi to it. Maxine really likes to scope things out 
And then, of course, we do eventually go outside to play. But first, she gets to look. She gets to observe. She gets to perhaps even imagine. Well, our God is like that, too. Our God is one of open doors, of possibility, of invitation, encouraging us to look at what might be possible, what's out there. Our God is one of comfort and courage and good things. And we can trust that when we step through a door, even if it's hard, even if we may lose things, God is with us. And therefore, things are going to be okay. You'll notice that Jesus does not say he's a wall. Instead, he's the opening. He's the entrance. He's the access point, the thing that creates a gap in the wall. The poet Robert Frost famously wrote, something there is that does not love a wall, that wants it down. As people of faith, we claim that Jesus is that one who breaks down barriers. In Ephesians, we're told, Jesus breaks down the walls that divide us. By using the image of a gate or a door, Jesus is saying yet again, God provides a way through, even when it seems like there is no way. Sometimes we look back at the story of Genesis and we worry like, man, we really messed things up. Can we ever make amends? Well, even in that story, Jesus promises to be the gate to eternal life. Even when we think that we've messed up and there's no way to fix it, Jesus promises a doorway. And it may not return us to exactly the way things were, but it does provide a way forward and a way through. Because Jesus is the one who's capable of opening every door. He is the doorway itself. Our creator is one of possibility and one of hope and one who removes the things that block us, removes the things that are holding us back from our true potential in God. All of us have doors that are in front of us, thresholds that separate the past from the future, opportunities that stand before us ready for us to say yes. And the opportunities look different for each one of us, and often there are walls or barriers in front of us that must be overcome. Sometimes you can't even see the door right away. All you see is the blockade. But I'm going to say it again. Our God is one of doors and gates. There is always a way forward. There is always a way through. Jesus promises a future of hope in this life and in the next. So now I ask you, does a wall stand before you today? Where there's a wall, Jesus promises to be a gate. Can you see it? Can you see that gate, the doorway that God is offering to you, to us? Maybe it's a doorway that denotes a change. Maybe it's a doorway that leads to a new relationship or a new challenge. Maybe it's a doorway that means leaving something from the past behind. Perhaps the door ahead of you leads to ministry, to sharing your gifts, to serving others, to offering what you have so that God can use it. Do you feel God calling you this morning? 
How can you say yes? How can you step through that door? Perhaps the door leads to prayer, self-reflection, some kind of internal change. Do you feel God calling you this morning? How can you step through that door? How can you say yes? I want you to return in your imagination to that door that you pictured at the beginning of my message, whether it was open or closed. Does your image change now, remembering that Jesus is the gate, Jesus is the door? Does it change the way you feel about that image that you held in your mind? Maybe you have a completely new image now as you think about gates and doors and Jesus and moving forward. We've all got a door in front of us. Some of them are easier to step through than others. But this morning, I invite each one of us to take a step, to ask God to lead us through, knowing and trusting that whatever is on the other side of that door, we're going to be with God. And so it's going to be okay. May Jesus provide a gate and a door and a way forward for each one of us. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.